What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter so come through and big thanks to produce row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast happening everybody welcome back to another volume of i dig records a dan cable presents podcast coming at you once again if this is your first time listening thank you for checking out the show if you want to help support this thing in a free way you can do so by clicking subscribe on itunes clicking write a review giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. You can check out the podcast on Spotify now, and I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there. 
every first of the month. That Spotify profile will be in the episode notes, so you can check that out. Stoked to get in to this chat. Really fun to talk to my cousin about the album that we're going to get into on volume 35 of I Dig Records because... We had this age gap of about seven or eight years, and there's a lot of things from the 90s that he didn't necessarily grow up with the way I did. So it's always great to talk to him about a record from that era, and that's what we've got going on with this episode and this chat about Alanis Morissette's 1995 album, Jagged Little Pill. This record has sold over 33 million copies and is the second best-selling record by a female artist of all time and also the second best-selling record of the 1990s. It's one of my childhood favorites, front to back, and I just have a ridiculous amount of good memories attached to this record from both my childhood and as I grew older. And it's one that I always love throwing on. It always brings me a smile. I was so excited when the new HBO Doc Jacket dropped last year. I've now seen it twice and definitely gave me all the feels and I'm sure I'm going to rewatch it several times and that doc kind of prompted this discussion between Rob and I. So that's what we are digging into this time around. Thank you to everyone that left their comments about this album in my DMs. Always like to hear feedback about the records that we are talking about and a lot of the comments had the same sentiment and that is that this is a legendary record to a lot of people that front to back is filled with not only all these radio hits but a whole lot of depth and dynamic throughout and the deep cuts hold as much weight as the bangers so if you want to share some thoughts on this record or any record that we've done in the past feel free to email or dm your comments or send in a voice memo that we can play on the show we're always looking for suggestions for records we can talk about in the future as well and if you're new to the programming here you can find these i dig records episodes every other tuesday my cousin is my co-host of the series we do the deep dive on a record and every once in a while a guest host sits in if he can't make it and regular episodes of the Dan Cable Presents podcast are coming at you every Friday myself in conversation with an artist of all genres last week I had Joe Van on the show great singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist he's also in the band from Indian Lakes and is currently on tour for his uh, solo record, Found in the Smoke. And this Friday, I have Eric Gilbert on the show, one of the founders for the Treefort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho, which is going on at the end of March. So I'm pumped to share that one. If you're local to the Portland, Oregon area, make sure you come through Produce Row this coming Thursday, February 17th. Singer-songwriter Ronnie Carrier will be there playing jams. And this Sunday... DJ Kitty McLean will be spinning vinyl, providing the brunch jams from noon to two. Every Sunday at Produce Road, there's a DJ from noon to two and every Thursday night live music. So uh, check out the links for all the sponsors in the episode notes as well so you can keep up with those fine folks and supporters of the show. And other than that, we are going to get into this thing. Volume 35 of I Dig Records. 
Let's do the damn thing. I just want everybody to know that I dig records. I dig records, bro. All right, man. I dig records I turns dig records, volume 35. 35. Atlantis More Sets. Jagged Little Pill album from 1995. Yeah, what a. And this one also had required viewing. Important. Yes, we watched the Jagged documentary on HBO along with uh, listening to to the record, which is the recent HBO doc that came out uh, kind of examining this time in Alanis Morissette's life and just kind of showing how this shit really popped off kind of overnight in a lot of ways. And just, man... So many cool things about this documentary that we will, I'm sure, get into through the conversation. But, you know, mid-90s, this is still when the radio could really break your career. And this is what you Mm kind of witness here. Um, And also, cool for me, I grew up you know, outside of LA. So K rock was a local station That's crazy, to me. Yeah. And I didn't really know at that, you know, when I was a kid that that was such a, like a nationally syndicated programming and them kind of really setting the standard for like what would be played on other rock stations throughout the country. So, right. um, very cool to, I don't know. That was definitely a station that was constantly on in the car for me or one of the, one of the main, go-tos and whatnot but uh yeah i was 10 years old when this album came out i'm sure that you heard this song uh, on the radio quite a lot on k-rock i did and and also you know this was like one of those similar to the third eye blind album that we did this was just one of those fucking cds man that i everybody i knew had yeah and they talk about that in the doc how to like one in four people had this album and it was just, it just seemed like everybody, everybody's car you got into, right. you know, and obviously we're getting into our parents' cars at that time, mm-hmm. but I think there was this appeal to a lot of times our moms driving us around and they were like really into the music as well. Mm-hmm. Like it spoke all these different levels. Um, so yeah, I just remember everybody that I knew had this album. This is like one of those CDs that was always played on like the way to, the hockey rink to to our hockey games to just like wild the families in the car together and like all the kids knew the rec the the lyrics and right. like most of my people my friends that i'm hanging out at that time are all dudes and they all had this record and it was and it was again like that crossover it was like our moms and and their sisters right, who right, also right. like really loved this album and like even our dads were like into like a lot of the tracks there was mm-hmm. like it was wild man it's such a cool like uh her story i had no idea first of all that she was this young like because you know my relationship with Linus morissette is like my high school girlfriend burnt me a cd and head over feet was on it and that was the first time i had heard it and she showed me hand in my pocket i just like got to know these songs like in a completely different setting. It was like, oh, this is some like Alanis Morissette from the 90s, I guess. I don't know anything about her. But then you find out that in, you know, 94, she's like 21 years old. You know what I mean? And Yeah, not even, I don't think. Like maybe 19 when she came out to make the record. Really? Yeah, damn. And it's just yeah. like, 
you know, she's been doing shit like like she she was doing like dance pop like at age 14 and she had to deal with MCA records. And it seems like her dad was like sort of really interested in show business and sort of like, you know, and, and it seems like Alanis Very was really embracing it as well. Like she was it seems like it wasn't it doesn't seem like it was the uh, like fucking uh, uh, Amy Winehouse situation, you know. It was it wasn't like some kid. I don't think her parents were exploiting her in that way to like make her the the cash cow exactly. or whatever, yeah. you know. And and like she obviously had a huge passion for it right. from the beginning right. because she talks about even at 9 or 10 writing that first song that she performs right. on some television show and obviously not a great song, but what the fuck were you doing at 9 or 10 years old? <laughs> yeah, dude, no, I was saying like I mean, her first record, Alanis, came out in 91 and she Alanis herself was born in 74 so like she's you know 17 and like you know she's recording this record with MCA records which is MCA is now uh universal and like you know major label and she's like 17 she's working with them when she's like 15 you know and it's interesting though because like that stuff dude when I saw that because my idea of Alanis was like okay she's like somebody that my that like mom's sort of like and it's like you know it's cool whatever you know and whatever but then I'm like oh no like she was like like she was like like Avril Lavigne or something like she was like punk rock like young and like fucking like wild but it's even more interesting that she was doing that coming off of like doing dance pop you know what I mean? Like she was, she was doing like Janet Jackson and Madonna type shit, and then she got sick of this shit once they talked about her weight, and they were like, "You need to stop eating cheese." You know what I mean? And that's like that's some fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? And she's like, "Fuck this," you know? I'm done. And I, and and she went and she just like did a complete 180, and that's what the producer says. She's like she didn't know exactly what she wanted to do, but she knew what she didn't want to do. And that's cool that she was like so young and she was like, look, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to do my thing. That takes conviction, you know what I mean? I mean, I think it's... Uh, you know, it's that early songwriter in her too yeah. that she knew the type of things that she wanted to create, and you know, it's brought up like how empowering a lot of this music right. is to to women. Right. And uh, she was just like, "Yeah, but you know, like it's great that this is very empowering, but there's a reason that like I'm singing about all this right. is because I went through right. all these situations where I was I was very powerless and." very taken advantage of and abused in many ways and yeah just kind of mind-blowing to get some analysis or ex examine kind of how this young girl was just like sexualized by tv hosts yeah. even when she's 15 or 16 and you know producers fucking with her yeah. and you know the amount of time she talks about statutory rape yeah. happening yeah and exactly i don't know man it's just some it's some real dark shit and it's like 
you know, she's like, when I was 13, like, they weren't, you know, they were like, she's too young, you know? Then when I was 14, I started getting some more looks, but, like, and I knew, like, they, you know, that that, that was what's going on, but it was, it was still a little too young. And then 15, something happened, and yeah. everybody just, like, all bets were off when I was 15. Fucking 15 years old, dude. You're, you're a fucking child, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and just, yeah, being taken advantage of, being, like, assaulted and abused by uh record executives who like are simultaneously like holding your dreams in their hands like you know and she's yeah. like you know and at that time you know i i was like oh this wasn't rape this was consensual this wasn't you know any of that this was this was all consensual you know but she's like no i was 15 like you know what i mean there's no consent in that <laughs> yeah. dynamic yeah, right, you know right. what i mean right and it's like yeah she's yeah, fucked but also to what you were saying, I think that Doc really, for someone like you, who doesn't like have as much context for that time because of our age gap, it's like when you see those crowds, oh, yeah. you know, it was a lot of young girls and young kids in general. I think it's very cool to speak again to like all of my male friends having this album. Right. You see so many dudes in the front of her concerts singing all of the Absolutely. words. The dynamic there was... Uh, was really cool but yeah man it's this album to me still holds up really well i think and just like it's a it's there's there's 12 tracks and six of them are singles and this is again like that age where singles continue to roll out as the album came like after the album was out and you know coinciding with music videos so definitely different from what we do now but I think every single track on this record could be the single, you know? It's it's definitely one of those and all of the deep cuts are as good as anything that hit the radio. I just kind of like remember even being a pretty young kid and feeling the weight mm. of the content of mm. this music and the rawness that existed in it you know i mean before i watched the documentary my take on this record was eh it's dated you know what i mean and it still is dated <laughs> you know what i mean but it, it was sort of like eh, eh this is fun you know but it's whatever after watching the documentary like yeah like adding this whole context of the story and of like and getting to hear the music a little bit more and 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 understanding that like this is coming from like a a real place you know what i mean like within her and like yeah like if this was a hugely hugely popular record but like the odds were stacked against them like none of the labels wanted to pick them up you know and and that shit was really interesting to me like I'm like, this is like a punk rock record, you know, what I mean? like this is a punk rock like spirit, you know, and maybe I understand yeah, that, DIY, you man. know, you know, it's also like adult contemporary and it's like been boxed up in a certain way and it's aged in a certain way. But like, don't forget the fucking Radiohead was opening for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like this was alternative rock yeah. at that time. Yeah. And this was just like Shirley Manson from Garbage talks about how like this was the time where the alternative shit came to the mainstream mm -hmm. and Alanis was like super key mm -hmm. in especially just like leading the female 
voice in in that era and like just proving to people that you could do like what you wanted and you didn't have to like fit in the box of the image and and you know you could just go out there in the pants and the big t-shirt and it didn't have to be some big dolled up thing it could just be whatever she was comfortable in and just uh yeah next next level for that time like like you said radiohead was opening for them they were watching radiohead write okay okay computer during sound checks yeah the foo fighters were opening for them yeah yeah and that's funny because then taylor winds up going over because that's where i knew taylor from when i was growing up you know i listened to the foo fighters and i was like oh that's that's the drummer so it's like you know it's funny too like they all thought that the like no, none of these labels took this record and the only label that took it is madonna's label which is pretty crazy yeah, yeah. and they go in and that story about the first single you ought to know like which features flea and dave navarro um which is tight you know like you know, like they went into the, into the K Rock and showed him, and they were like, "Here, like, take a listen to this." And then they immediately went over to the DJ who was live on the air and said, play, "Play this right now." And they said, so in, "And then from then on, it was the most requested song. Like, it just immediately." They said the phones were ringing off the fucking hook. that story where you're just like oh i just got dropped from mca canada i was doing dance pop like you know now nobody wants to pick up my record now i guess i got one option at maverick which is madonna's label not bad obviously that's pretty a pretty good one option to fucking have but like still it's just like you're you're going into your whole new territory and i forget the name of the producer that did that wrote the songs with her um, it's Glenn Ballard. Yeah, who yeah. Also yeah. made the Michael Jackson Thriller. Oh, really? Has wow. some pretty big. Uh, he's got some pretty big accolades with uh, Michael Jackson for sure. Huh. But uh, this is his. This is kind of one of those things, though, for him. This is maybe just as high up there as far as the things that his name is attached to. Yeah. And well, it's yeah. like he was like when we were writing these songs, we didn't know what they were. We didn't know was this rock was this punk was this grunge was this folk you know what i mean you have the harmonica like you know what I mean? it's just like yeah. it, it, it like i really appreciate the risk that it took especially at the time and how it was rewarded you know what i mean it's that undeniable thing it's just coming straight from this place and her lyrics and all the music around it like you know it it, it makes sense Looking it's back, raw, it makes dude. sense, you know what I mean? But in that moment, oh, she's yeah. like, I don't know what the fuck we were doing. We were just following our nose, you know? Yeah, well, I just also, like, appreciated that, you know, one of the criticisms that, that they were receiving was that, you know, it was just too much. And it was maybe too raw and but she was she had the wherewithal like 
at 19, like in that moment, 19, 20 years old, you'd be like, yeah, like this is an emotional fucking record because this is what I'm feeling right now. And you're never going to get this again when I'm 34. You're not going to get this when I'm 34. So like, just take, take it for what it is now. Cause this is like, this is what's real. Yeah. Right the, now. the song at the end of the documentary where she's holding her son and singing that is like, this is, this is a far cry from Jack little Phil, you know? Yeah, man. And, and just also, uh, I appreciated that she was just very, you know, there's a, there's a definitely a vulnerability and a rawness to the lyrics, but like her sureness about her lyrics when she talked about like yeah once i have the lyrics locked in for the demo i think it's only been twice that i've ever gone back and changed the lyrics you know and it's like putting them down and then she also talked about how she could remove herself from the song right away and be objective about it after mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah put all yeah. the emotion into it and then remove yeah it seems like she just goes into like a vortex in the studio you know what i mean and like i read also that the final vocals on this album are the, are just taken from the demos. Like she, yeah. they, they re-recorded, you know, the full band shit and they just like slapped her demo vocals on it. And that's fucking dope. Like the vocals on this are raw, you know, and there's some yeah. things she does all, you know, her voice is, is crazy. And she does the, the vocal fry thing and the, the trilling and all the shit. And it's like, it's again, like the, the vulnerability, like, to be like yeah i'm not gonna change these you know like these communicate well you know what i mean these this is what i felt you know when i was in in the vortex i can't go recreate that you know i don't know if it's still up there anywhere but there used to be this five-part documentary on youtube that was just about the making of this album and a lot of that raw footage of them making this is it's very cool so i'll put the link up there if, if it's uh if it's still around but speaking to like some of the songs that are maybe you know not one of the six singles that perfect jam i think is like one of the the deeper cuts that is uh yeah is a song that like shows kind of the intimate emotion i guess like she talks about how she kind of got pinned as, as this angry white woman you know this angsty young woman like what is she so mad about and whatever and and really like there is only a few like three or four songs on the album that are in that right right you know and maybe there's some of the bigger songs but there are like a lot of just like really pretty beautiful songs on here there's some there's a lot of like hope yeah within the lyrics tunes i do really like that is sort of the 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 angry song that's a deeper cut as well is uh right through you and like when i when i like listened to it the first time it was like "Eh, this is cool it's like sort of an anthem but it didn't like hit me until i like was they have the lyrics up in the documentary and you're just learning about all this shit that like she's getting like just 
screwed over by these executives and these like not just financially but these are also the people that are like assaulting her and shit you know what i mean like and you look at the lyrics to write through you and you're like damn like she's actually really using the songs as a vehicle to express herself you know what i mean like to say to like you know talk about her experience it's not just like some like you know bottomless poetry you know what i mean it's not just some like some hollow shit you know it's not just some like oh this is a song it's like no this is a vehicle for me to express myself and that shit is so inspiring like that's the kind of lyrics that are like you know i mean that's 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 where it's at so yeah it's one of this one of my favorite tunes now whenever you get to the chorus and it's just like really banging like yeah man the space though for sure as like that confessional and as this place to put all of her emotions into to process them in like a healthy way and she she talks about that just you know she she just wanted to it's this unjudged space for her to say what she needs to say and i learned a lot of uh i learned about some interesting things at 10 years old or so you know this is like you know, when you hear the 69 yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. this is the first time that I was kind of like exposed to, there, there's some sexual lingo for sure. Yeah, you know, does she the go down, down on, on you the in, the th- in the theater? <laughs> you know, so like, uh, yeah, there was there was something like provocative, I think, even to me as like a, a young person, but that's also true, yeah. just like, that's how I had to like find out about these things, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. these terms meant and, yeah. and whatnot. But Right Through You is... Um, such a cool song and especially when you learn about all the things that she went to went through as a young person and then you get to see how those experiences translate lyrically into this song The dude who, you know, kind of first got to hear these tracks and, and liked them from Maverick was that Guy O'Siri dude. And he, he said he was 18 yeah. when he joined Maverick, right? Yeah. Which is a fucking trip, dude. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck you got that job. And he he just kind of like spoke to her ability to narrate her story, but the complexities that existed mm-hmm. within her lyrics and yeah man she she definitely just her her imagery is just fucking great it, it's still like i i obviously get the nostalgic attachment to this where like i'm not listening to it fresh so like most of, right. most of these songs have all of these moments that i get pretty excited about like on uh on forgiven yeah which has all this religious imagery right and it's a very cool song to listen to now that I'm older and have this, you know, I have my my feelings towards religion and whatnot right, right, right. and can, like, relate to what she was saying a little bit more within this song. But, like, how it kind of gets, like, very 
very big and then when it gets quiet and has like that hallelujah moment and whatnot you know like those are just like those moments that I remember I think funny too like just how because like you have the nostalgia and then i don't so when i listen to this i'm like like play the first 10 seconds of you learn just like in your ears right and it's like it's like it's like what is this you know like this is like some like smooth drum machine thing and then you go and you cut to like you know the chorus of you ought to know and it's like, okay, so this is like now some like, you know, clearly like rock inspired stuff. It's like that whole idea of like when they're like, we don't know what genre this is. There's like moments that it's yeah. like, this sounds like some Seattle shit. Like you can hear the influence of grunge on this record, but you also oh, can yeah. hear like drum machines and like R&B funk type stuff well, that's, that you learn. that's fucking, that's that influence of Glenn Ballard and who she was writing these songs right. with. Is that, you know, he comes from that world, but also they talked about how it was just kind of her, like she and him most of the time right. in that room. So right. a lot of the times they were writing to just a drum loop. So I think that's like what you get out of You Learn, right? Is just like that introduction right. kind of is that, yeah. that drum loop that existed. That's one of my fucking favorite jams, though, on the on the record. You learn that one is, uh, yeah, I like that one quite a bit. She just writes anthems, man. Like she's just a like bangers only, you know. It's amazing. It's like such a, it's a clinic in uh, just how to write hooks, you know? But again, the thing that's cool about it is that they're not just hooks for hook's sake. Like they're lyrically meaningful to her, you know? Like they're actually vehicles and that's the thing that makes it heavy, you know? Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu, their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. 
let's get back to the episode. You know what's also really dope, though? I think that, um, like, the free nature of her spirit, I think, is captured in the vocals in in the sense that um, there's, there's obviously structure to what she's doing, you know? She understands melodies and whatnot. But from, like, verse to verse and chorus to chorus, you get these little different voicings of character in some of the delivery, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, too, like... I, like to illustrate how little I knew like I knew hand in my pocket and I knew head over feet I didn't remember I was like I know Ironic's the biggest song on this record but I don't know (laughs) if I've ever heard it you know and then I got to the hook and I was like oh this song is her like this is her like oh shit you know I was like oh I fucking know this song Yeah, man, and um, that dude Hanif talks about, like, with that song specifically, but he talks about how she's just the master of those shout-along crescendo moments, and and ironic, you know, is obviously just this huge example of that. But that was, yeah, man, that was a fucking song that every single person knew. It didn't matter if you were 12 or if you were 45. You know, it was, yeah, man, it's the second biggest album of the 90s. No, exactly. It's like, that's incredible. Yeah. It's like, smells like Teen Spirit, you know? It's like, and for them to go out on the road and like initially have all these small clubs booked because you get to see like some of those first shows they're playing, they they look like these little, yeah. And uh, there was just lines outside and, just you know you ought to know hits and it was fucking it was over from there man but i think also yeah this record is like also one of those ones where i feel like her the spirit she offers like in the initial track on all i really want is is what you get throughout the record you know like it's the the full human the the full range of like the human emotions and whatnot it it's not it doesn't all sit in one gear right it hits a lot of different places so yeah no yeah. i completely agree and i mean like if the, the the importance of an opening track you know we talk about sequencing a lot on the on the podcast man but sequencing is so important and like i feel like oh, this man. album sequencing gives it a lot of momentum and you don't even get to the biggest song until like the second half of the record you know what do you think about that moment on the the opening track when when she does the silence thing no, i mean that's just some genius shit you know like using the song as like like it sort of like breaks the fourth wall like in a movie sense yeah. but in the song you know what i mean yeah, and I can feel like when that's done tastefully, it's pretty, pretty heavy. I'm so petrified of silence. Here, can you handle this? Did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines? Or when you think you're gonna die? Or did you long for the next distraction? And all I need now All those band shots, dude, of those huge concerts and, like... 
those like those band huddles yeah. and things like that. I I I fucking love like seeing those moments. Oh, that's it. They dude. just they just they just always they always get to me yeah. and just to see that you know they have this band huddle and then they each like hug each other individually after before they go out there yeah. and also you know just speaking to that of them being young when her manager told her hey you have to be a boss to these dudes these four dudes that are into your band now you need to figure out how to be the boss of them because they're all people that that just auditioned for the band and (laughs) it's so funny the story of the bass player how she called back the wrong chris (laughs) and and then it just worked out but having to manage that and then uh taylor and chris kind of get into the debauchery that the dudes were all getting involved in on tour and you know they're all like young 20 to 25 year old guys that are experiencing like rock star treatment at that time and just like this juxtaposition of fucking alanis you know presenting all of this like emotional material that is empowering to females and then these dudes are you know trying to link up with groupies and they've got like backstage passes but they're to their fucking dressing room that they have set up far yeah, they're just away trying from to get, they're just trying to get and, laid yeah they're um, like the antithesis of all of the yeah, stuff that yeah. she's writing about you know and she got fucking pissed at them you know yeah, she, she she seems like she uh you know rightfully gave gave them a, a clear piece of her mind. You know what I mean? She had that line of like, "Oh, what am I gonna do? Like, I'm gonna find four other dudes, and then they're gonna do the same shit, the same thing." Yeah. So it's like, oh, I might as well just you know present like fucking confront this with these dudes. Yeah, tell them and, to fucking change. Uh, you know? Let them know that. We're not, we're not really like, yeah, we're not fly. really fucking with that. And, uh, and also just like at that time she was talking about how there wasn't really, she's asked if she could have had an all female band and she said, yeah, I could have, but no, I didn't really, <laughs> you know, like my dynamic with other females yeah. was not great at that time because everybody kind of felt like there was only room for one. So it became like contentious all the time right, right. and, you know, so it just like, worked better with her dynamic of having all dudes around her because she grew up with her other brother her brothers and was just like that was her environment anyway yeah and she was like once i knew that they weren't trying to like get with me then i was yeah, like there was cool no we're fam. you know i'm just hanging with the yeah. guys now it's like you know that was yeah. you know you know i mean and that's the sort of thing that the, you need to have that that dynamic and that trust like because they toured so fucking hard 18 months like that's insane you know what i mean like like they just that's some road warrior type shit like all after this tour you know or after this record like and you know from the beginning they're playing 100 cap rooms like what you see in the documentary and by the end they're playing you know 100,000 person festival you know and it's just like that's the same tour (laughs) you know that's the same record they're touring on that's not 10 years you know what I mean it's like some real like just the power of radio and the power of MTV it's like really pretty wild how like like monolithic like that that was it you know if you can get on MTV you're there you're fucking done you know what else came out in 1995 
the Benz. Dude, the Benz. lots of great records. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like some it was a flop. Like what's uh, the story? The Pumpkins, uh, the Pumpkins' big double album came out. The infamous Daydream, the Mariah Carey record. The fucking other record that we did. The other record that we did. Uh, oh, Alien Lanes. Alien Lanes came out in '95. Do you want more? By did. the Roots, D'Angelo, Brown Sugar, Liquid Swords by Chizza. One Hot Minute by the Chili Peppers. Yeah, man. Think about, like, 33 million streams would be a lot for a song now, right? That'd be crazy successful. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a very that'd be a successful song. Think about selling 33 million albums. Yeah. No, it's insane. That's the entire population of Canada. And only 16 million, like, come from the U.S., yeah. yeah, it's like the entire world. Yeah, and you see it when she goes on tour. Is it? It's in the Philippines, I think, where she shows up and they do oh, this yeah. concert performance. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're singing her song, and it's all these women and girls of different ages in the flan, like kind of in her getup, yeah. and they're all yeah. singing this song. Like that must have been unreal for her. Yeah. No, I mean it's crazy. Like little did you know you know like what the fuck is going on like a year after you sent your song to k-rock you know right right i dug her and maybe you can appreciate this that you're in la now but i dug her take on on being in la and how i think people were uh fearful for her or like very like doubted her decision to go there because you know, L.A. has that reputation of, of eating people alive or, you know, everybody is fake right. kind of thing. But she she talked about if you kind of if you're already like grounded in who you are in some way or like what you want, then I think it like opens up different doors and you end up hanging out with the people that cultivate like the you know the environment that you want to be around yeah no exactly that shit will fall into place you know what i mean there's a certain like effortlessness of that you know and you just have to sort of be open to it you know yeah and you have to be like not willing to kind of like put up with like bullshit or wanting to like be in the it crowd or no exactly around people that you don't enjoy hanging out with just because they have some clout or it might connect you somewhere Absolutely. Absolutely. Another one of the singles that I think is a banger, though. Hand in My Pocket. Hand in My Pocket slaps. I mean, as far as the lyrics go, say no more, you know? I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. Yeah, I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, it was like a heartwarming song. I could feel, you know, I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind, blah, blah. And then she like, it was the first, I think that was the first Lance Marset song I heard. And then she says, the other one's flicking a cigarette. I was like, oh, that like stuck out to me as being like, okay, this isn't like, I was like, she's real. You know what I mean? Like, like this isn't, this isn't just like a self-help song. You know what I mean? It's like. 
there's a certain clarity in her lyrics that I think is what everybody's connecting to of that like real vulnerability and it's like not just poetry it's like oh I I am a person you know and I'm yeah I'm a person and I'm like capable of both of these actions in different moments Yeah, I mean, good pick, cousin. You put me onto a classic here. When you listen to it now, you feel like you just have that that additional attachment because you understand it's time and place and kind of the things that, that happen around it to, to influence its happenings. Yeah, I understand it in context. And, you know, I mean before i watched the doc i was like there's like four or five songs that are just bangers on this record and every once in a while yeah. when i get in my 90s uh guitar rock mood and i need to listen to um you know a little bit of of temple of the dog you know and i need to listen to some uh some gin blossoms you know what i mean like the the alanis is right is is right there now you know when i think about road trips yeah. And essential albums for road trips. This is this is it. And yeah, this is one of those like sing along to the entire fucking record front to back. Right. And there's again no reason to skip anything here, you know. No. Exactly. And I think yeah, yeah, yeah. you know throughout the whole thing, even in like once you get yeah once you even get into that that final track on the record, which is wake up i feel like that that same spirit that existed up front you know is still all there right right absolutely i remember liking that mary jane track a lot when i was younger and that one kind of sticking out just because it was like a little more like one of those slower fucking you had to be like a little more patient songs right on that album The baseline on that one's kind of killing. Even though I do feel like on the entire record, if I have a complaint sonically, I think the bass falls pretty flat as far as like hitting. The bass lines are cool, yeah. but it never right. like it just never ever like really hits. You know, it's that '90s production. Yeah, maybe where the whole it's just rhythm really section. like a lot of high mids. You know, yeah. Luckily, it doesn't like really affect. I think the vocal like performance because it's so fucking good but it does uh yeah i think you're right it definitely speaks to that time of the vocal needs to be way up front got some other really great songs too on the on the albums that followed this and they talked about how she uh how like both those records debuted at the top of the charts each time she came in and you know her influence on things to come like fiona apple and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean beyonce singing alanis you know what i mean like yeah that's wild man taylor swift you know super wild 
I also just loved like any of her live performances are pretty fun to watch just the way she kind of like threw her body around Mm -hmm. you know it it was you know it wasn't always super graceful but you could just tell that she was like really in it and kind of like having a blast on stage while it was happening also underrated Unplugged, one of my favorite MTV Unplugs. Oh yeah, no, it's a solid. MTV one. Unplugged is uh, the Alanis Morissette one. It it kind of follows in the spirit of like what Kurt Cobain did with that set list of. She didn't necessarily play a bunch play of hits. bangers. Yeah. She plays a bunch of like deeper cuts off other albums, and then she also does some covers. So I check that out. That one's very cool. You get you like really get to hear I think her vocal range in that too because she's. Her singing is so good. Yeah, man. I feel like uh, I feel like this record was was a fun one to do. I feel like it's a it's a nice little time capsule, and it threw me down a fun hole of listening to a bunch of '90s stuff with Drew while playing Rocket League the other night. And nice, it was a blast. Nice. You know? Yeah, I highly recommend the doc. The whole series, man. I'm, I'm in the middle of the Kenny G one right now. It's fascinating. Uh, I haven't watched that one. I still need to watch the Juice World one. Yeah, I watched a little of that. And I also really want to watch the Saturday Night Fever one now because I watched that movie for the first time the other night. Okay. And it was fucking disturbing. Word. Like, I I expected there to be a lot of, you know, outdated language and shit, but I don't know, man. There's some fucking, like, pretty gnarly uh, sexual assault moments that go kind of like unaddressed uh-huh. and it's just it was like whoa i'm actually going to talk about that with my mom because huh. she the reason i watched it is because she we were talking about movies last time her and i did our you t- our little yeah. mom chat yeah. podcast and she was saying actually i think it was your mom took her to her first r-rated movie oh nice when when she was younger and it was uh saturday night fever so we're both rewatch like i'm watching it for the first time she's rewatching it and we're gonna talk about it but it's gonna be that's uh, that's crazy yeah i don't know anything it's gonna be gnarly but now i'm very curious to watch this uh this documentary about it just so i can like maybe gain some more insight also I thought the like the plot to it was just like really bad. Like it's not a good movie, also. So I was just right. like, I don't know. Right, there's right. a like I just know that there's all this like acclaim about that movie, and most of it's just like the work of the Bee Gees and the person that actually wrote those songs. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I guess all that shit's like pretty cool, especially for that time and whatnot, for disco and all that shit. But I don't know. It's pretty gnarly. But this documentary is great people should check it out whether you know Alanis or you don't know Alanis like you said this this changed your relationship with the the album so yes I think it's uh definitely insightful in that way 
Um, I guess we haven't really talked about the record that we will uh, do next. It's on you, though. All right. Uh, I'm going to give them to you right now, dog. Ram by Paul okay. McCartney. Whoa. You're the one that introduced um, me to that album. I mean, I knew oh, about really? it because you see it at every fucking record store that you yeah. go to. But like, I feel like you're the person that told me to check it out. Yeah, that record's amazing. Uh, yeah, Ram, okay. Kimiko Kasai, Japanese singer, has this record called Butterfly from 1979 where they play Herbie Hancock tunes, but she's a singer. Okay, um, that record is pretty dope. And then uh, Out Out of the Afternoon by Roy Haynes. Let's do this Paul McCartney Ram album. Fuck yeah. I was hoping you would pick that. <laughs> See. All right. Well, we'll do some uh we'll do some Paul McCartney next time and uh put all the links in the episode notes so you can keep up with the show. Big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring yet another volume of I Dig Records. Hit the link in the episode notes so you can get 30% off of your uh your services there. Um, what should we play it out with? Is there a song we didn't really like touch on? That's uh, we didn't really talk about hand in my pocket too much. We just talked about how good it is. Hmm. We'll play it out with. We'll play it out with hand in my pocket. All right, my cousin. I'm Thank you, Alanis. Thank you, District Kid. Catch you on the flip side. I'm short, but I'm healthy.